everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and today we are going to uh, begin archetype coverage for Wilds of Eldraine, uh, starting with red-green. Starting with red-green is certainly an unusual choice for me. In a lot of formats, I never get around to talking about red-green, and I actually think um, it's like pretty well put together in this set actually makes sense to draft these colors together so i thought i'd talk about why and what i like that's going on here since i've you know been giving wizards a bit of a hard time for uh not figuring out how to make red and green cards like playable together in uh limited formats so i thought it would be an interesting place to start here uh, as always, the notes are available to follow along at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. At the recording time for this podcast, or at the very least uh, the time when I was putting the notes together, uh, there's still very, very little data available on 17 lands. Um, for example, if you sort uh, by a particular archetype, uh, there's not enough data to tell you how good any cards are in any archetype. We have some very, very early data on how well uh, different archetypes did in the first couple days. That doesn't necessarily speak all that much to like their ultimate strength once, once people figure them out. The first day or two of data suggests that red-black is the best deck early on. Red-green uh, performs above average, uh, not exceptional, but solid and it's the second least drafted deck so far. That might be because the explicit synergies are light. Um, I'll get to that in a little bit. It might be because red-green's history isn't such that a lot of people should generally be looking to be red-green as a you know starting point in most formats. So that's where this sits. Big picture, I suspect that it will become a little bit more common to draft red-green as people understand the format better, if my initial impression that red-green's actually pretty good holds up. So the like theoretical, I believe, stated theme for red-green is four power matters, which I didn't really realize at first how lightly supported that is. Um, skipping ahead in my notes a little bit to the point where I got around to figuring that out. So the only common that explicitly cares about the four power thing is Territorial Witch Stalker, the two mana two three that gets an extra power and can attack if you have a four power creature. Outside of that, uh, the synergies for four power specifically matters are only at uncommon. Garrick's Uprising on the uh, reprint sheet, I think is the most important. That's a three mana enchantment that draws a card when it enters if you have a four power creature. Gives your creatures trample, or maybe only your four power creatures, I don't remember for sure, and draws a card when a four power creature enters the battlefield under your control. I think it's possible to get multiple of those in a draft, and if you have multiple, then you do really care about four power creatures. Otherwise, I think it's just not a big deal. Um, the other payoffs are like all two mana creatures that do something nice if you have a four power creature. That's Boundary Lands Ranger is the guy that like loots if you have a two-power creature. Picnic Ruiner is the adventure guy that gets double strike if you have a four-power creature. And Ruby Daring Tracker is the haste mana creature that gets plus two plus two if you have a four-power creature. And that's it. So like you don't really need to obsess over the four-power creature thing, but uh you can 
if you end up uh, specifically, as I said, with Garrick's uprisings, and then you can have some other synergies. But for the most part, you're just, you know, like red green aggro. But the more important part of like the having cards that ask for four power creatures situation is having good four power creatures available to let you do that thing. And the set succeeds really well at that. The core four power commons you're looking for are Minecart Daredevil. That's the three mana four two with an adventure that gives plus two plus one at instant speed. Grabby Giant, that's the four mana four three with reach that can sacrifice. You can spend three mana and sacrifice an artifact or land to draw a card. And then it has an adventure for two mana at instant speed that makes a treasure. And Bellowing Bruiser, the 5-mana 4-4 haste that has an adventure for 3-mana that stops two things from blocking in red. And then in green, you have Verdant Outrider, the 3-mana 4-2. You can spend 2-mana to stop uh, two and less power creatures from blocking it. Ferocious Werefox, the 4-mana 4-3 trample with an adventure that uh, gives a monstrous roll, which gives plus 1, plus 1, and trample at instant speed for 1 and a green. And then beanstalk worm uh and the six six trample gain three for more mana the six six trample gain three i think isn't like a great fit in most of the red green decks and then beanstalk worm it's fine uh two mana adventure put a land lets you play an extra land and then five mana for a five four uh reach so those are kind of like the big commons that you're looking for that work with uh the cards that ask for four power stuff there's not a ton of stuff there, but because like those creatures, like that that common set of four power creatures plays really well in general. Like red and green typically really like, like red, green, aggro decks really like combat tricks and getting so many combat tricks as adventures lets you play enough combat tricks to make profitable attacks while not having well while keeping a good enough creature density that you reliably have a creature to use your trick on which is a really like awkward and difficult puzzle for most red green decks to solve that uh adventure just fixes really cleanly so i like how that's all put together and that kind of makes everything work so the next part of the equation for like a red green aggro deck is uh the two drops like, all those four-power uh, creatures are three or more mana. There aren't a lot of four-power two-drops. Fortunately, if your lane's open, all those uncommon things that say they want four-power creatures are two-drops. So you can just start by, like, start your curve with all the two-drops that want four-power creatures and then uh, play a three-power creature... Uh, a four power creature on three and like you're off to the races that's the you know the ideal situation is you get a uh, territorial witch stalker at common and then ranger picnic ruiner and uh ruby at uncommon and those are your two drops failing that i think that some versions of the deck would be fine with root rider fawn that's the uh two mana one three that taps for green or filters mana and I think if you're struggling to find twos, Skewer Slingers, that's the 1-3 reach that does a damage to a creature that it's in combat with, actually plays pretty well in this archetype. 
the one three reach that fights as if it were like a little bit bigger than that is really good for like not getting run over early uh blocks a lot of things pretty well and it's also a pretty good thing to put a roll on just because it's like pretty durable and has reach and i also think it just goes around really late because like none of the other red decks are interested in skewer slingers maybe some red blue decks would play it defensively but like red white and red black really don't want a one three reach as their two drop so it's nice that uh you know if you happen to not see those particular uncommons and uh territorial witch docker you do have like a backup two drop that plays reasonably in the deck that should go pretty late again the ideal versions of the decks would just play uncommon two drops instead of that but it's there if you need it Outside of the actual creatures with four power, there are some other creatures that fit really well that get to four power. The issue is that they don't play well with Garrick's Uprising specifically, but they play pretty well with the other four power it matters stuff. Um, that's Mary Bards and Hollow Scavenger. Um, Mary Bards is the three two that you can spend an extra mana when it enters to put a, a young hero role on something can put it on the Mary Bards itself, and then when they attack the first time, they'll get up to four power, or you can just put it on something else, and then that can probably get to four power. And then Hollow Scavenger is the 3-2 uh, with the adventure that makes a food, and then you can spend a mana and sack a food to give it plus two, plus two. So it's a 3-2, but like before combat, if you have one of the four power things, uh, four power matters things, you can sack a food to get it up there. Also, both of these are 3-2s. If you put like a roll on either of them then they'll have four power so there are a lot of ways to like get a monster roll or a noble noble roll or whatever on one of them and then you're there so uh th those are solid you know backup three mana plays although mary bards is kind of more of a four drop because you really want to get that young hero roll off of it ferocious werefox i mentioned earlier the four three trample it's just a great card like, 4-3 Trample is exactly what the deck's looking for. Good place to use a combat trick. Solid rate when you care about 4-power matters. But then also the combat trick adventure mode of uh, giving something a monster roll at instant speed, uh, getting to give one of your other high-power creatures Trample, and also just getting the roll there for roll synergy stuff is also really good. One thing that you do need to watch out for a little bit in red-green is... You're often, you know, if you've played decks with combat tricks, especially like red-green decks with like a double-strike combat trick, you're probably used to there being some situations where you want to like stack multiple combat tricks. And you do need to be really careful when your combat tricks make rolls because they don't stack. I think if you play with the set a little bit, you like get used to the idea that rolls don't stack. But it's still a little bit weird when you're like used to parsing something as a combat trick and then you're like, oh, wait, no, I can't actually use that trick on this thing because it already has a roll or whatever. So that's something to watch for. Obviously, given all this discussion about combat tricks and the adventures here, and also there are a number of other combat tricks in the set that are reasonable. There's the uncommon red card that gives uh, plus two plus zero and a monster roll. Um, there's titanic growth, uh, two mana plus four plus four instant. And the uh, green plus one plus three untap reach trick is also like, you know, an acceptable trick to play if you want more tricks. At uncommon, there's the green hexproof noble roll instant. So uh, I, I would not expect red green decks to only rely on adventure for their combat tricks. 
So all of this is to say, when you're playing against red-green, give them credit for combat tricks. Their deck probably has quite a few. I think for the most part, you are not really looking for enabling like the celebration and bargain cards because you're mostly looking to be prioritizing these like adventure creatures and like some of them do potentially work with bargain right like if you're making a roll you can bargain that away but you know you're you're generally pretty aggressive and you kind of want your cards to just like work by themselves and um you're not making a lot of tokens and so most of the time you're not really looking to like line up these like different pieces of synergies toward other things. You're kind of looking for just like the straightforward numbers stuff. So most of the time, you know, those other like the, the food cards and the bargain cards and stuff like that aren't for you. However, this format is like very deep and intricate and there's a lot of stuff going on and there are just like a lot of powerful uncommons that pull you in a particular direction. Like I said, there aren't really that many cards that like care about the four power thing specifically. And so like if you don't end up with Garrick's Uprising early, that might not be the pressure that you have in your red green deck. Like you could be in a seat where it makes sense to draft red green, but you're like uncommon signpost give you a direction type card doesn't happen to be Garrick's Uprising, and instead it's the 2-3, it's a Tangle Span Lookout, the uncommon 2-3 that um, draws a card uh, when an aura enters. Like, you can build a red-green deck that uses that really well, right? You can uh, prioritize, like, the various cards that give rolls. You can start looking for Witch's Mark, the, like, tormenting voice that makes a roll. You can uh, prioritize Curse the Werefox, Merry Bards. Curse the Werefox is the fight spell that makes a monster roll for three mana in green. Red Tooth Genealogist, the 2-3 that makes a noble roll. Cut in the four damage removal spell that makes a young hero roll, Ferocious Werefox. Like, you can shift your prioritization very, very slightly uh, within the red and green cards and go really deep on making rolls if you happen to have like Tangle Span Lookout as your like uncommon card that gives you a direction instead of Garrick's Uprising. Um, and both of those pay you off for playing a subset of the cards that are available to you by giving you repeated card draw, which is certainly something that, you know, your red-green deck is happy to have access to. And, you know, there are just a variety of like different strings of uncommons you could have that could pull you in different directions. Like maybe you end up with multiple tough cookies and uh, welcome to Sweet Tooth, the saga that makes a 1-1 and a food and then puts counters on your creature. Then you end up, you know, maybe doing something with food, uh, even though, you know, red's not really helping you with that. That might lead you to play like a little bit more bargain stuff or whatever. I've also uh, played against um, a deck that... Uh, played food fight the rare that lets you sacrifice artifacts for two damage um you could end up in like a red green food deck with that again you know it's a specific rare but the point is that the there it's very easy for like one or two cards that have a strong pull toward a thing that like your colors can do but that your archetype doesn't naturally do that can lead you to like incorporate these other uh like clusters of cards into your deck so you do want to like you don't want to like put blinders on and just assume that you're a four power matters deck or like a tricks aggro deck because you're red green. 
you really need to be open to letting the powerful cards that you find like chain into pulling you along to the clusters that support them and um you know you, you want to be able to really like maximize those strong cards similarly maybe you just end up with like a good reason to splash like you have uh like maybe you're red green and you have decadent dragon the uh four four dragon that has a black adventure and you have ginger hunter or whatever it's called the uh five five that makes a food with the black minus two minus two adventure now you have like two really good black adventures so you want to splash some black mana no problem you start prioritizing brave the wilds that's the uh search for land um with bargain animate a land grabby giant the giant that makes a treasure red cap thief the two three creature that makes a treasure uh, flick a coin the do one damage make a treasure draw a card for three mana red instant uh, evolving wilds root rider fawn and you know it's just like a large number of commons you can look for and easily get that splash in there by default red green is what i would consider like a big proactive deck like it's you know, you're playing larger creatures than your opponent, so you need to not get run over by their small creatures, but you're generally pretty aggressive. You want to be attacking, but it can easily shift depending on exactly how the draft goes into more of like a pure aggro deck or like a ramp big creatures deck that like ends up being big enough that you end up being more controlling for most of the game, or you can pursue like some of the many synergies I talked about earlier there's a lot of like room for variation based on exactly which cards you see but the, the like archetype has kind of good fundamentals and good bones to like do something strong regardless um so yeah that's that's what i think is going on with red green i think it's pretty strong a lot of redundancy in the cards that you're looking for to make it work a lot of flexibility and i think that like the adventures uh solve a lot of the uh normal problems that red green has uh just like having tricks and creatures and then like consistently drawing things in the right ratios so big props to the uh, design and development teams on making red green work in this set and i think it landed in a pretty interesting space uh, especially like the flexibility that exists here i often feel like when i'm drafting red green the draft itself isn't very interesting because there aren't like a lot of synergies and i'm just kind of like trying to like draft a curve and take good cards here I feel like there are synergies and also there's like some flexibility and some, you know, uh, it's easy to get like thrown for a curveball that you can like incorporate into your deck in good and interesting ways, depending on how the draft looks at. So that kind of covers my notes. So we're going to turn it over to chat for questions. So um, as always, while I'm waiting for that, uh, I'd like to direct anyone who uh, is interested in supporting the program, having access to the notes, coaching discounts, whatever other uh, perks you might be interested in, you can uh, check out patreon.com slash drafting archetypes and see if they're available at a rate you like. And yeah, right now in 17 lands, the number one common is flick a coin. I saw that. It has a lower sample size than a lot of the other ones, but it is noteworthy-ish. I will say that I've noticed several other sets where the number one common with a small sample size 
doesn't end up being particularly good, like the number one common after day one. Like in Brothers War, after day one, the number one common was like a four mana four two that mills you for three that ended up like basically being unplayable and having horrible stats after that. So uh, there's certainly, I wouldn't, you know, put a ton of stock in Flick Coin being the number one common right now. But it's not a bad card, right? Like the stuff, like anytime it, it's actually killing a creature, like you get a lot out of it, right? Like if you kill a thing and draw a card and make a treasure, you're up a card and a pretty valuable resource. As far as like how it fits into red green, I think that it's like not what I want to be doing on turn three, you know? It feels a little bit small ball for like what the deck's trying to do. Like I want to be just like, curving out and attacking and it's asking a lot it, like it, it's playing a value game it's too far on the attrition end of the attrition tempo spectrum and at a pretty awkward point in the curve for most red green decks i think there are some that can use it but i'm certainly despite the stats not going to be like taking it early in a red green deck as far as like is it just a blue-red card? I think it's probably best in blue-red, but I imagine there are some other places that can use it, but I'm not excited about it in red-green. Seems like the biggest decision uh, decisions in gameplay are weighing explosiveness, mana efficiency, and the card advantage you get from actually using your adventures. Yeah, I agree. Like, figuring out how to maximize your adventures and when to just, like, give up and play a creature is a big part of the decision-making in the archetype, which, incidentally is part of what makes this archetype more interesting to play than red green usually is which i didn't talk about before but like the the trade-off on like am i willing to cash this without getting value out of its venture adventure is pretty interesting anyway for example you have a picnic ruiner a boundary lands ranger a minecart daredevil and three lands what's my expected play order i think i just start with the boundary lands ranger uh that's the one that lets me so like, the, the idea here is if you start with Picnic Ruiner, that's the 2-2 that gets Double Strike, and then you play the Minecart Daredevil, you can attack for 4 on turn 3. Whereas if you play the Boundary Lands Ranger first, you get to loot on turn 3 instead of attacking for 2 extra damage, but you still have the Picnic Ruiner in your hand to use as an adventure. So I would not go the, like, you know, all-out aggressive plan where you go, like, Picnic Ruiner to maximize damage and the Minecart Daredevil into like Boundary Lands Ranger to like start digging to um, find more action later. I would tend to lead Boundary Lands Ranger into Daredevil and then plan to cast the adventure on Picnic uh, Ruiner on the following turn using the loot from the Ranger to make sure that I hit my fourth land. But you know, I, I certainly, like, if that hand didn't have the Boundary Lands Ranger and I had nothing to do on turn two, then I would easily play the Picnic Ruiner rather than save it for the adventure versus doing nothing. But when I can play, like, a different good synergistic card on two and save the spell, I would rather do that. But, you know, there are going to be a lot of, you know, similar questions that aren't necessarily as clean and that are going to be you know different if it's like game two and you already know something about the matchup and stuff like that you think unruly catapult could be good in this deck if you have enough adventure stuff <sighs> no <laughs> like it's you know potentially playable if you're like desperate for a three but like for catapult to really shine 
I don't just want like a number of instants I can cast. I want to be chaining instants, right? Like I want to be playing inst like instants and sorceries that draw more instants and sorceries. Like where catapult's really good is if you have like sleight of hand and um, quick study and stuff like that. Not if like before I cast my creatures, sometimes I cast a single spell. Um, I, I really want to be like chaining and it can also like play a defensive game where you're like, okay, well, I'm going to play a long game and this is only going to do one or two damage, like one and a half damage a turn, but that's going to like add up because I'm going to play like a 10 to 12 turn game. But like red green wants to be, you know, ending the game playing like six and seven turn games and like catapult's not really going to help you with that. So while I'm not going to say like no red green deck should ever play catapult or like you shouldn't have it like on your radar to side in if your opponent has a lot of like, red cap vanguards or whatever like a three power creature that it blocks well i think by default unruly catapults is not a good fit for red green and that like having a number of like creatures with adventure tricks isn't going to change that how do you value ginger brute for red green how do the one dot drops in general play in this color pair so with any like big proactive deck in any format i'm not high on one drop aggressive creatures because you're not about nickel and diming you're about like connecting with your big stuff and like if you get like three to three to five damage out of your one drop it doesn't often change whether or not you win as much as just like getting a one more hit out of your big guy by like having a removal spell or a trick at the right time or whatever i think that this kind of deck can really run into trouble against removal if you have like too much low impact stuff and i think for the most part i'm not really looking to play one drops in most versions of red green um i think that uh there you know i mentioned that with red green you can like pivot between like the normal like big proactive space and then like true aggro with like a bunch of tricks and um than more controlling. I think you could have a build of red green that's like true aggro with a lot of tricks and rolls, and maybe you have like a lot of uh, red tooth genealogists, and um, you're not really doing so much. The four power stuff matters, and then uh, ginger brute could play well in that deck. But like, I certainly don't want ginger brute and uh, Garrick's uprising in the same deck. Any tips for the mana base? I I definitely think that this is going to be a 17 land uh, situation more than a 16 land situation by quite a bit. And, you know, you're like this can splash. It's going to like your man is obviously going to be very different if you are splashing versus not splashing. If you're like that, you know, ginger brute genealogist deck that like tops out at like ferocious werefox or something, maybe you end up at 16. But like most of the normal versions of the deck are going to be. 17 lands with like pretty traditional mana bases i guess would i play catapult if i played curiosity on a splash i would just not splash curiosity in my red green deck like curiosity is going to be horrible in red green if you don't actually draw your catapult and catapult plus curiosity is not going to be that great if you don't have like spells to draw if you're trying to catapult curiosity just play blue red and be good at doing the thing would you be more or less inclined to splash with red green than a more control oriented archetype? 
um, fixing existing those colors, but aggro value, aggro values, consistency over upside. Yeah, I mean, all of that is always true. It's always the case that I'm more interested in splashing the more controlling my deck is, but that like red green can pivot how controlling it is and has access to good fixing in this format. Like there's a lot of green fixing and a lot of red treasures. So, you know, I, I want to splash less in red green than in green black kind of and in aggregate but red contributes more to fixing than black does so it's not even open and shut there and you know there are like teamer adventure structures in this format that exist that are very much like both base red green and controlling and splashing so it is the case that i'm less interested in splashing when my red green deck is very aggressive but I don't think you want to be of the mindset that you're like you have to be aggressive with red green in this format. So I, I think that like my real answer to this is I'm pretty open to splashing in red green, but when I do that, I'm gonna be thinking of myself as a less aggressive deck. It almost seems if there are two uh, different distinct red green archetypes, aggro and adventure slash mid-range. Yeah, that that kind of thing is often the case um, where for any given archetype, there are cards that are put in the set specifically to support aggressive builds and cards that are put in to support uh, controlling builds. And you can certainly lean all the way into one or the other. I think that like the nature of big proactive leads to more of a smooth gradient than a strict binary there because like big proactive often needs like early defense and doesn't need like low curve aggressive stuff, but then like does care about like explosive damage output and stuff. And so uh, I I think there's like a pretty smooth curve of like red green decks with different ideas about like the pacing of the game and how they're planning to end it and what kind of curve they want and how defensive they need to be. I definitely think that there are, um, you know, there's a wide enough spectrum of red-green decks that it's very easy to imagine a particular moment in a particular deck having wildly different prioritizations of the commons than where another deck would have in a different moment. And not just like, oh, I'm looking for a two-drop more than a three-drop, or I'm like looking for a removal spell specifically here. But like, if you have just like a, you know, ranking of every common, it could be completely shuffled um, depending on like which specific synergies you're looking for. Like, you know, sometimes you're looking for like the adventure combat trick stuff really, really highly. Sometimes you're looking for the four power stuff really highly. Sometimes you're looking for the role making stuff really highly. Um, sometimes you're looking for fixing. Sometimes you're looking for like value and you're like just looking for removal because you have good late game. Like it can be really all over the place. Obviously, I love all that. I, I think that's what makes like this format uh, seem really good to me early on and makes this archetype like interesting to me. But it also means that it's pretty hard to give a prescriptive, like these are the cards you're looking for kind of list. I will say when I was like going through lists of the commons, I mentioned a lot more of the like specific synergy stuff and the like high power creature stuff. I did not mean to overlook or overshadow the removal. I do think that like the one mana bargain shock is just like a pretty good card. Uh, Curse the Werefox is very good. Um, like th- these decks do want removal spells and I, I don't want to like obfuscate that fact. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, pay attention to uh, all that stuff. Okay, I think that's going to wrap us up on Red Green. So uh, thanks for tuning in, listening, uh, hanging out, asking questions. And um, I will be back next week with another archetype. I think that by next week, I will probably be able to... um, put up a poll and uh, discuss the archetype of the listener's choice. So watch for that uh, early next week and I'll be back a week from now with the next archetype. Uh, Thanks and bye for now. Prepare for light speed.